Hey guys, it's Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Hey, listen, if you know me, you know that 316 Creative Works exists to partner with artists, businesses, and churches. Uh, one of my good friends is a business guy. It's the Maynard family, and they run a business, and now they're in partnership with us. So that's Precision Door Service. Listen, in case of emergency, I always call Precision Door Service. They are experts in repairing, replacing all your garage doors and overhead doors. They can be reached. They got two numbers. The Indiana side is area code 219-306-8155. Again, 219-306-8155. Now, on the Illinois side, uh, Precision Door Service can be uh, contacted at area code 708-474-6657. And number again is 708-474-6657. You can always get them at precisiongarage-door.com. That's precisiongarage-door.com. Of course, we'll probably have Justin throw a contact card up there for you so you guys can see it if you're watching this. Again, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works introducing you to another member of the family, the business of precision door service. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for coming back and checking out another 316 podcast. I'm uh, Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Uh, you know, let's start off by thanking our favorite people in the whole wide world again, right? Uh, Larry and Sandy, uh, Justin, Danielle, and Esther. I also want to thank my new friends, sponsors of the studio, who is Payrock, uh, my new company, and also uh, thankful for the guy who redesigned the studio. Uh, that's D-Lo Studio Designs. But uh Hey, let's not too get uh, too deep into the weeds there. We're we're just we're just getting into Marty's story. Uh, let's let's just catch up real quick. So uh, we're normal people, uh, homegrown, local boy, done good, uh, financially secure, uh, decent monetary package. I'm assuming uh, monthly paychecks are good. You raised your kids and and they're in college and, uh, you're, you're attending a great new church and you, you quite honestly have a pretty good reputation there. You're doing some work on, on stage, right? Right. Doing theater and drama work. Marriage is going well. Uh, you married the, you know, the, the girl from fifth grade and, and, it, and, and then the housing market crash. Friends and neighbors and old, uh, high school buddies are coming to you saying, Marty, I'm, I'm losing my life here. What am I going to do? And so, you did you did some things. You made some mistakes. Correct. Um, now, what's strange about this point of your life is, like I said before, I know you. You're one of the nicest guys I know, and probably of all the guys I know and that have worked with so much, you're. Your moral barometer is one of the highest. Now, we'll joke. We'll bust each other's balls a little bit. We'll we'll have fun. But other than that, I have not seen any, personally, and I've known you pretty well, I've not seen any real character flaws, 
You're not a big cusser. You're not a big drinker. Right. You don't even smoke cigar. Hey, Marty, you want a cigar? No, no, right? <laughs> um, you're a good man. You're a good person. The desire to be a people pleaser mixed with your goodness led you to make some mistakes. Um, some serious mistakes. Absolutely. That was your fault. Correct. I mean, you, you're not saying you were framed or you were Shanghai'd or uh, it, it was a mistake. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was, oops, you made some mistakes. I made some mistakes. And as a result of that, um, the bank owner, you were second in, in command, uh, the, the bank owners or the board or the whatevers asked you to resign. Correct. And so now you're jobless. October of 2009. October 2009, you resigned. Mm -hmm. And you still were young and, and still had a family and had college to pay for, so you got another job. And are you thinking, whew, oh, thank God. Well, all right, this sucks. I got to work at a different place and uh, money's probably not as good, I'm assuming, right? Right. But, you know, hey, I made some mistakes and nobody knew, nobody found out. At least, at least I'm not going to jail. Correct. Right. So you're thinking, okay. I'll take my lumps and keep on keep on living, right? That's a, absolutely correct. But that's not what happened. Not at all. Because was it two, three, four months later? Yeah, I want to say probably maybe maybe four or five months later um, they came in. The FBI actually came to your what? To my – I was working at an insurance agency. They okay. came to the insurance they agency. They came to your office. To my office. With your new boss and your new coworkers and everybody and, and, the, and these two, three, four – Guys or women in suits, you know, driving Lincolns, <laughs> they pull up and they do the, uh, Marty, yep. can we talk? Yep. And, and then do you go in, into one of the offices? Yeah, or? I went into one of the, like the little conference room and, and as shut soon the doors. As, and as soon as they said, are you Marty, you knew? Yep, I knew. Because, uh, again, this is not to sugarcoat you or your life or to make you put you on a pedestal to say what kind of a great guy you were, but... Like this is the only thing in your life. Yeah, I mean, you, you weren't you weren't growing pot in your backyard. No, right. You don't have you know pictures on your computer that you shouldn't be having. Right. I mean, there's only one thing in your life that these guys could be wanted to talk about. All right, and that's exactly what they want to talk about. And so. did you literally crap your pants? Uh, yeah, almost. I mean, I was. <coughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I was, uh, you know, just caught me totally off guard. There was no warning, no anything. You were asked to resign. You knew why. Did you know it was illegal what you were doing? Or had done? Um, I knew it wasn't right. You knew it was unethical. Unethical. And it, you knew yeah. that it broke banking law. Yes. Um, but you didn't think it was this, this illegal. serious, you know. And, and because nobody said anything for a couple of months, you thought, okay, well, whew. Now these guys yep. knock, and you know what it's about, and what did they say? Uh, they were just, you know, asking me questions, and I was answering them honestly, you know, and I, you know, I didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because I don't have an attorney in present or anything. Uh, I, you know me. I'm, yeah, you're going to talk. And I'm an open book. Yeah, and you're going to try and make those federal agents happy right. Right, because you're a people pleaser. And, and they didn't arrest you, so there was no need to lawyer up, right? Right. And <clears> then um, it just kind of, I kept hearing from them more and more. Um, to the point where I had, you know, I finally had to go out and hire an attorney. Wait a minute. You, you, so, so they had a conversation then left and, and then they came back? They didn't come back. It was, you know, phone calls. And, oh, they, they and were then, I, then I finally realized it was probably time to get an attorney. And then my attorney was talking to them. So, 
And and, um, and did they, they they said to you, uh, Marty, you are not a focus of this investigation. Oh no, I was the focus of the investigation. And did they clearly say, Marty, you are the focus of this investigation? Uh, and you were honest. I was honest. After that first meeting with uh, FBI agents, it's just it's weird to even say that, Marty. After that first meeting with FBI agents, did you go home and say to your wife, honey, you'll never guess what happened to me today? No, I immediately called her. Oh, you didn't even wait till you got home. No, you, you. I couldn't. I had to. I think I left work. Yeah. I I, I couldn't stay focused. I I think I drove home and you know I, I know I called called my wife, but then you know that was that's all we talked about. So that was the early part then, I'm assuming, of 2010. I mean, if you resigned in October of 2009, Correct. so then January, February-ish, 2010, the FBI comes to talk to you. Yep. And you called Terry and you went home and, did, what, I mean, did you cry? Did you pray? Did you, I mean, all did, of you the, cu- all, did you cuss? Uh, all of the above. You didn't cuss. I didn't cuss. All of the above. So, you know, had to go out and, fire, or go out and hire an attorney. So... First of all, your your finances are diminished because you, you have a different job. Your kids are in college, so they've already taken some of your whatever you've saved. Right. And I'm assuming a lawyer to help you in a open federal investigation is going to be a lot of money. It it's was. not like getting out of a DUI for a thousand bucks. No, not at all. So you liquidated everything to pay a guy to. Whatever, right? I mean, what does a lawyer even do? Tries to get you off, right? Right. Or jealously defend his client. Right. Yeah, and he was, you know, in the city, so that required a lot of trips downtown. And and um, the toughest part of this whole thing was the waiting. Um, there's a five-year statute of limitation on something like this. And when did that, that clock start ticking? Um, the day of the offense. Okay. So that was, it had to be summer then of 2009? Yeah, sometime in 2009. So, um, and it just kept going and going and going. You know, before you know it, we were two years into this. Before you know it, we were three years in it. And it's, it, that was the most brutal part of this the, because you, I had no idea what we were doing. And the lawyers taking checks. Right. Uh, and your kids are saying, Dad, have you heard? And, uh, and, and your wife's like, hey. And, and I remember... I remember those days you were a part of our team at that time, and I remember every Tuesday or every couple Tuesdays, Marty, what's up with them? I haven't heard anything. Right. You know, no news is good news. <clears throat> yeah, right. And then you know, my attorney kept saying, Marty, they, you know, they're not going to forget about this. So he's a realist. He's telling you yes. this is going to come home. Yes. So I think it was two or three days before the end of the statute. Of, All right. So of, five. So five years. So you're almost at five years. I so was almost so, there. so if the if, if the breaking federal banking law happened in um, the summer of 2008, uh, they let you go in 2009. So it was a year later, or was it a couple months later? No, it was it was, ba- it was it was it uh, was based on the start of, or based on a date in 2009. Okay, so summer of 2009, uh, and then in the end of uh, October 2009, you, you, they they let you go, and then uh, beginning of 2010. So uh, October, uh, summer 2009, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So we must be spring-ish 2014. Right. And two or three days before that, I got indicted. And what, and what did that look like? I mean, what, what does indicted mean? It just I got indicted for the crime, and they had to set a, a court date. 
So how, how did they how did they tell you? Did they come and arrest you? Uh, it was through my attorney. Oh, so you're so so you're just living a normal life, trying to get back to normal, trying to save some money, recoup some losses, lick your wounds, thinking, hey, I I got two days, we should be golden here. I could sleep through this. Right. And then all of a sudden, your attorney calls you and says, Marty, they indicted you. Yep. Did you cuss? Did you cry? Did you? Oh, there was a lot of crying. There was an amazing amount of praying. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Um, again, in a small town, everybody knows. If this happened in Dyer, yeah, nobody would care. A little bit bigger. Um, but in you know, in a small town, everybody knows. And and um, I told myself I have two choices. I can go up in my room, close the blinds, and fall into a state of depression. Or I can hold my head up high and move on. And I chose the latter. So, so that was an option. I mean, you, you thought, okay, now now I'm here. I'm at a crossroads. Right. And I can either turn right and deal with this, or I can turn left and, and hide in a hole. So we dealt with it <clears throat> head on. And during the five years, I, I think this is a, a cute little story. Um, about halfway through the, through the five years, we're at the attorney's office in the city. And um, my attorney got up and left. And I told my wife, you can leave me. I get it. I said, you didn't ask for any of this. And she goes, you're an idiot. I love you. Right. And um, the attorney came in, and, and my wife says, oh, Jack, do you, do you know what Marty just said? And she repeated it. And um, he looks up at me over his, his reading glasses and says, you're an idiot. She loves you. And I just thought that was so. They both said the same thing, but um, yeah, it was it was tough. I, I felt so bad for my wife. I felt so bad for my kids, and you know we had grandchildren. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know someday when they grow up and they find find out Papa, was, you know, had this issue, what are they going to do? You know, but everybody's been amazing. So you're on. You're indicted. I'm indicted uh, now. I know some of these terms because, unfortunately, I was just before this. I was on federal grand jury duty. I remember that. So I, I was part of the sixteen members of peer, not on your case, but uh, in a different county, a different state. Uh, so I know what it's like to indict. I mm-hmm. know, I know that the prosecutors come in and they say before we can try somebody on a federal crime, we have to go in front of 16 of their peers and lay out all the evidence that we have and explain to you the law and the evidence that we have. And if all 16 of you agree, 12 of you have to, 12 of you, 16 have to agree that there's enough evidence, then the federal grand jury will indict. So that's what happened. Correct. Somewhere along the line, 12, at least 12 of 16 jury members looked at the evidence, heard from the prosecutor, and thought there was enough evidence to indict you on, I don't know what the exact charge was, but it was banking, misappropriation, falsifying records, falsify, falsifying records in, the, in the banking world. What happened after you got the phone call to indict Tried to tried to you know just be as normal as possible. Um, just kept going to work. Yeah, 
right? And yeah. you kept going to church? Um, you know, in a in a weird a weird sort of way, it was kind of a relief. Because the one way or the other was over. Right. Or kind of. I mean right. you I didn't mean, have to think about it anymore. It didn't matter it didn't matter where I was. I could be at a wedding, I could be on vacation. It was always in the back of both of our minds. You know? So it was somewhat of a relief. We were not happy about it, but in a weird sense, it was it was a relief. And and at, at one point, then after the indictment, there had to have been a trial. Was it was there anything between your lawyer calling you and saying you're indicted to the the trial? Was it a couple months, a couple weeks? Um, I think it was about six weeks. Six weeks after the indictment, be, between the indictment and and the trial, right. Um, I think I got. I think I had to go to court in April of 2015. No, 2010. Right? Oh no, 2015. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, that's where that's where I got sentenced. But so hang on. So yeah. what did you do for those six weeks? You, you just just normal. I mean. Like what did, did I do for those six weeks? Yeah, I mean, you, just, you, you worked and went to church and had had your wife and your kids and you. I mean, did did you make any allowances with God? You're like, God, if you get me out of this, I will preach your message until I die. God, if if I can get away with this, God, if I can, you did you did a lot of that. You did a lot of negotiating with God, right? And I promised him that no matter what, I would use my story, this story, this story, uh-huh. to help others. So. Kind of where I'm at now. So we we're, we we are we are good friends. Uh, I don't see you as much as I used to back in right. mid two thousands through two thousand. But but because you were a dear friend of mine, I went to support you at the court. Right. Right. At, at your trial. at the sentencing. Yeah. And be, and you and you pled guilty. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, because what are you going to do? Are you going to fight this? Right. And the thing about it too is, you know, you asked me what I was doing during the, that time. I, I was out there getting. I was told to get. Um, um, character letters. Okay, so did we have to write yeah, letters? So did we handwrite? I don't remember. Did I handwrite a letter? You did. did uh, and you did. You, did you ever read it? I did. I had to read it in front of you. Remember, <laughs> you made me sit down and read it in front of you, and it was wonderful. Oh, that's terrible. But um, of course, I would do that. Of course, I would. I'm I'm that guy. Yeah, yeah. And and the judge even commented he had been in it for you know been on the bench for 35 years and never seen that many character letters. <laughs> so. So really, nothing happened in those six weeks. You're indicted. How do you plead? I plead guilty. Your your lawyer goes to court and says he he pleads uh, guilty. Uh, six weeks of talking to friends and and relatives and neighbors. Hey, can you write a uh, complimentary uh, character? And they, we gave him to you. You gave him to your attorney. Your attorney gave him to to the court. Uh, it, so really, life was kind of normal. They didn't put you in handcuffs. Never. Uh, you, I, I remember seeing you at at the court, and you and your wife and your kids, maybe your mom. I don't remember, no. right? Um, I sat right behind you. Mm-hmm. Me and uh, one of the pastors was there. I remember just silently praying for you. Um, I've watched an awful lot of TV, and this court was nothing like I've ever seen. Uh, and I don't know how to say this, and you, you'll probably well, maybe, maybe push back, but it was one of the, it was one of the sweetest moments I've been to. Because the prosecuting attorney laid everything out, and he wanted maximum sentence. Was it 48 months? 
I believe so, yeah. Four years. He was going for four years. Uh, federal prison. The prosecuting attorney went in 48 months. Now, I remember when the, the, the defense attorney came on. Um, you didn't do much talking. No. But he came on and he agreed that you did this thing. There were no, no contests, right? right? It was, I broke this federal law and I am so sorry. And then the judge said, I've read all of your character stories. And he did say, all of my years of doing this, I am more overwhelmed by your character and your character letters than I have in any other case I've done. And then he said, but Marty, I can't let you go with probation, which is what your attorney wanted. He said, I have to sentence you because that is the law. And what did he sentence you with? Um, Eight months. Eight months. Mm -hmm. At this point, you were standing. Mm Mm-hmm. My heart broke for one of my closest friends. And it was so hard to reconcile that moment in my head. Because I know you, I knew you, but I know you did a thing. And that prosecuting attorney was kind of a, right? Mm-hmm. But doing his job. Right. And your defense attorney's like, but your honor, probation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's kind of textbook. Right. And the judge was so kind to you. He was. So nice to you. He was so gracious to you. But the law is a law. I have to set an example. I, I have to set, he said that I have to set an example. Uh, he sentenced you to eight months in federal prison. Correct. Guys, when we come back, we're going to land this plane. Was prison life changing? Did he become a criminal? What happened in eight months and since? 